Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 39. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Before I start our sermon today, I just want to take a pause real quick and just take a moment to remind you all that uh, while we're doing these services online right now and we're moving into our sixth month of doing this, this is not the way we want to continue to do things. Uh, We are actually right now actively striving and working to do services in person as long as the infection rate stays low in New York City. While right now everything is a risk at this point, uh, we feel like this is a risk worth uh, taking to come together in person, embodied. We believe actually gathering embodied as a group is important for your health, for our health, Uh, And um, while we have guidelines given to us by the city and the state that we're following, um, it's important to remember that until there's a vaccine, uh, this uh, process is going to be continually evolving. I know uh, many of us right now, we're struggling with online services. I think I've talked to with a lot of you. We're uh, feeling the relationships are just thin and it just isn't the same. And we understand that and we want to be a family together not just virtually, but physically right now. Um, And so I'm just going to tell you, hang in there. Uh, Keep with us. This is a process. This is hard. This is not easy right now. And um, we are all doing this together. Even though it feels disjointed, even though it's all digital, we are doing this together. So hang in there. And if you need help, reach out, join a community group. Um, Don't stay strangers to each other. We must continue to provide Uh, and love each other in this unprecedented time. We currently are are being remote 
just remember, we have to remind ourselves we're remote right now because we are trying to help uh, the most vulnerable. We're trying to help the most needy. Uh, but we will come through this. And it's going to take patience. It's going to take fortitude. It's going to take uh, stamina and perseverance. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is going to get us through this um, to keep us until that day. Knowing our hope is certain right now, we can keep this up. So I'm, I am looking forward to seeing you. I just, just know that, and um, I really am. Now, we've been uh, doing a summer series on the book of Psalms, trying to work through how to pray better right now. These times necessitate, I would argue, that to have stronger prayer lives, stronger than you've ever had before, to grow, to get closer to God. And frankly, no matter who you are, what you believe, where you are in, in your uh, faith journey, the, the Psalms is the Bible's prayer book. It is how to handle life. It is how to approach Him right now. Uh, which is why out of the 150 Psalms that we have in the Bible, um, they always tend to end on a note of hope. They always tend to, to end on a, on, a, on, a, on a note of hope. Um, I was watching uh, on Netflix. I was just, you know, looking through and I found a Heath Ledger film. It's pretty old. It's called A Knight's Tale. And in it, he's trying to woo the love of his life. He's trying to beseech her and he's getting advice about how to end a love letter. And uh, one of his friends says, you always end a love letter with hope. And the reason why you end a love letter with hope is because the goal is to stress that despite the circumstances, despite everything that's going on, it's going to work out, that we will be together. And I think the same is true with Psalms, is the, the, those who are writing the Psalms, they know how it's going to work out. God is going to work it out somehow, in some way. Even if you can't actually see or even know what, how it's gonna how it's gonna end. Now all the psalms end that way. They're all hopeful, but not the psalm that we're gonna look at today. In fact, out of all 150 psalms, there's actually only two that do not end with any hope. Psalm 88 and this psalm, and that is why I picked it for today. So the theme of Psalm 88 it, it's to focus on darkness and. Um, our, the, for our text, the theme is actually fellowship, or the lack thereof. Look at the, how the last verse reads. Look away from me that I might enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. He says, look away from me. Leave me alone, God. I want nothing to do with you, God. Now, why, you ask, why is that in the Bible? Why, uh, or what value do we get from this psalm? What is it showing us about prayer that we need today in this pandemic? See, some of you are like, no thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm sad. I'm depressed enough as it is. Uh, I'm about to click off this, this video right now. But wait, the reason to look at this psalm right here, right now, the reason why you need to get this today is because it's going to allow us to handle the grief. It's going to allow us to handle the sadness all around us. And you say, well, how can I be so sure of that? For most of us, this is the hardest year of your life, at the very least, in recent memory. And there, there is greater need than ever before to process that hurt and loneliness and, and sadness and depression and much, much more. And this psalm, the mere presence of this psalm, can actually help if we go through it. So let's do that today. 
those four things that we see here, the what, the how, the why, and the where. What, how, why, and there. What is David experiencing? How is he responding? Why is it not working? And then fourthly, um, where's the hope then? Where's the hope? So first, what's David experiencing here? That is the right question to start off in this psalm. Unfortunately, it also might be the most difficult question for us to deal with because we're not told. David could have been experiencing a whole litany of things. For instance, it could be sickness right now. That's not spoken about explicitly here, but if you skip down to verse 11, it talks about losing your wealth. And we all know ancient people saw wealth not just in physical material terms, but also in um, health as well. It's not just monetary considerations, it's your health. Maybe he's being persecuted right now. If you go to verse 8, it says, save me from the scorn of fools. And he might be referencing his enemies, individuals who might be trying to bring his downfall. Maybe he's being betrayed right now. Maybe this is a Maybe this is happening later on in David's life when his son is, um, you know, leading a rebellion against him. See, we don't actually know exactly what's going on in his life. We do know three times he uses the Hebrew word ahibble, which is translated breath. Even It even sounds like a, a breath. It's a, it means a moment. Verses 5, 6, and 11. A breath is faint. It's here and then it's gone. It's um, present on his mind right now. And what he, I think he's trying to say is he's likening himself. He's likening this world the way a breath leaves an individual. As if it's everything, it's in vain, he says. And so this, this brevity of life is on his mind. In verse 4, he says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and number my days, how all things are fleeting in my life. Whatever he is weighing him down right now, we're not told exactly why, but that actually might be good for us because it means for anything that you're going through right now, you can identify with David. We can identify with all of this. I think when things are good, I think for a lot of us, we treat God like a Hallmark card. We open it up and go, oh, that's so sweet. That's so nice. In other words, the closer you get to that to that kindness, that, that when things are going well, the closer you get to God, the more we like him. But notice, for our purposes, for David who we know from his other writings, he was close to God, that it seems the closer he's getting to him here, it's not necessarily the truth that his life is getting better. Actually, you can be close to him and you don't feel close to him. And that means it's this, it's quite possible for you and I to live a good life, to um, pray hard, go to church, do good deeds. We can do all these things. You can be, you can be a Christian and yet still everything in your life goes wrong. That's actually possible, which would then lead to an experience of a lack of feeling that God is comforting you, that he's actually near you, that he's actually around you. I think this is a very important concept for us to grasp because as Americans, we don't talk about this a lot, that uh, the rest of the Bible has this concept. That it knows that it's possible that you, even if you can't see a good reason for why God might allow evil, evil and suffering to happen, even if you can't see it, it doesn't mean not, there is not necessarily a good reason out there. That God can and does work all things for the good of those who love him. But what this psalm is saying is that it's also possible for you to go your whole life and not know what that good reason is. That is what it's getting at. That something you know, horrible might have happened to you this year. 
racial slurs have, have been said, economic collapse, cancer, illness, depression, marital strife, loneliness, horrible things have happened. And the truth is, you and I might never know the reason why. That's, this psalm speaks to that. Everyone in verse 4 is but a vapor. It's but a breath, but a moment. Verse 13, look away from me before I depart and I am no more. Hopefully you can enter into it. He is filled with anguish. He is hurting here. This is utter, raw despair. It's ugly. It's pure emotion. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't glaze over it. The text won't even allow it. No, in fact, uh, the, the truth is, it demands us just to stare into the void with him. It demands us to stare at the nothingness. In essence, this, this is actually, this psalm, there's not much theologically going on here. Right? It's at least to parse and to work out. It's, it's, you're just sitting in his hurt, period. I think the psalm also is showing us that um, when you are sitting in someone else's hurt with them, sometimes the answer isn't always to have an answer for them. That sometimes the best thing that you could possibly do with somebody who's hurting is not to give an answer. But if you tell the person, don't worry, it's going to be okay. God's going to work it out for you. Don't just hang in there. Sometimes when you say that, that God's going to work it out all in the end, that's not super helpful. In fact, this isn't what it actually, this text doesn't say that. Sometimes saying it does more harm than good. In his book, A View from a Hearse, the father there who buried his three sons says that Anytime somebody tried to comfort him and give him platitudes and moralisms and phrases, he yearned to get away from those people. It was like the only people he wanted to be around were those who just wanted to sit with him and often not say anything at all. So he, de he desired that company. So before we move on, I guess we need to ask ourselves, how prepared are you right now? Do you know that it's possible for you to live a good life and to do everything right and everything can still go wrong? Even if you're a believer, like the writer, the writer here is a believer, and yet he still had a hard time knowing what God was up to. And therefore, Christians, we should not be caught off guard. We should not be bewildered when disaster strikes. If Jesus can live a perfect life, if he was the perfect person, and then his life fell apart, then what do you think about ourselves as well? Right? Why? What makes us think that our lives won't fall apart at some, at some level too. Sometimes you get glimpses of what God might be doing in your life through the pain, through the hurt, but more often than not, you don't. And that's okay. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. That's okay. Now, secondly, how is he responding? And this is important, this is important for us to point out. 
uh, the writer says early on that he's going through great pains not to let others see his anguish. So look at verse one. He says, I will watch my ways. I will, what? I will keep my tongue. I will muzzle my mouth. It's a lot of different images there. Verse two, I will, I will um, remain silent. Why? See, today we think if you have a strong feeling inside yourself, you better let it out or you're going to pop. But what this writer is saying here is, no, I don't want to honor. I don't, I don't, sorry, I don't want to dishonor God here. I don't want other unbelievers to see me lest they'll get confused and hardened by my, uh, my actions. I think this is an incredible perspective. That as hurt as he is, as, as hard as his life is, as hopeless as he might feel right now, he's being careful. And yet the very fact that he's even uh, um, doing this is important for us. So let me show you this in two ways. Um, the, the, the writer's awareness matters in two ways. One, the first thing you have to see is that he still believes. The very fact that he's even praying this at all proves that he believes, which means he sees no contradictions between his faith and the questions he asks of his faith. Yes, he's asking deep questions, but the key is he's asking questions in the first place. He's not ghosting God. He's not uh, ignoring God. He's not, what he's doing is, is he's shaking his fists and there's tears and there's deep sadness and there's hurt. But the presence of those questions for David does not mean his faith has failed. It's actually proof that he does have faith, that he does trust in the first place. And so for us, that means we should have complete freedom to question God too and not, and not worry you know, about those questions. My children sometimes uh, ask the craziest questions of me. This summer, I'm trying to keep a tally. They've asked questions like this. They say, if I get poison ivy, will I die? Um, you know, if, if you walk away, is, is, will you ever abandon us? Will you just walk away someday? Well, will I get poisoned if I drink, you know, some, some spoiled milk? Like to me, they're crazy. To them, they're legitimate questions. And I'm positive that even though they're asking them, they don't begrudge those questions. They're not doubting my love in some way by asking it. And so um, if that's true for them, it's true for us as well that we can go to our Heavenly Father too. But secondly, the writer is concerned not just about himself, right? He's concerned about others. He doesn't want others to be led further away from God on his accord. Instead, even if he's in pain, even through his pain, he actually has them on his mind still. Often I, I, I feel like our problem as Americans is when we're hurting, we get so myopic, we, we, we navel gaze that, that hurt makes it harder for us to see past our own hurts into the hurts of other individuals. We give ourselves an excuse. We say, well, I can't handle them. I can't help them. I'm, I'm, look what I'm going through. And, but, but what this text is telling us is, is, what about all the other people that are hurting this pandemic? Do we have the wherewithal that he had? Right? There's an incredible opportunity for us in the city right now but the city isn't as nice. It isn't as, as fun. It isn't as easy right now. But what if we reached out to those hurting too? My barber, I, went, I got a haircut this past week. And he told me he hasn't left the city since March. He's like, where would I go? And he had that, he has that kind of wild-eyed, crazy look. Uh, there's people who need meals in our church. There are uh, people who are um, 
who, who need interpersonal relationship, right? This is the time for the church, as remote as we are right now, to step up and say, here, I'm hurting, but let me help you with your hurt. Not just believers, but people also, unbelievers, people outside the church. See, this is the time, I think, for the church to be more present, more active in the city, even before. And I think LSQ is committed to that. The psalmist is committed to that. I guess I'm asking, are you committed to that? Thirdly, why is it not working? Because look, look again at the text. Follow it through a linear progression. He's praying. He's committed to not bringing, uh, you know, other people down with him. Doesn't want to dishonor God. He doesn't want to bring on the scorn of fools. He goes to great length, despite his hurts, to keep himself measured and balanced and careful of his views. But the psalm goes on, and I think it's pretty clear here that whatever's going on in his life, it's getting worse. Because look, by, by the time he gets to verse four, he says, number my days. Life is fleeting. Life is like a, a breath. Verse five, I'm a vapor. Verse six, everyone is rushing about heaping up wealth to lose it later. And then by verse 12, he's saying, hear my cry. That's all I have left. And then by the very end, the last verse here, he's, he, he says, he, started, he might have started off this text by talking to God, but by the end, he says, I'm done. He's le- he, he says, I, I'm leaving. The, this is the end of fellowship. I feel like an outsider, he says. I feel like a foreigner. That might be the strongest statement to say, look away from me. And so to end a psalm like this, this is utter despair and ruin. He's reading his entire previous relationship that he had with God. And this is David. We we know a lot about David. He's reading the provisions that God has given him in the wilderness when he was hunted. He's giving the presence that God gave him when he defeated Goliath. He's reading the, the forgiveness he got from what he did to Uriah and Bathsheba. And stopping the enemies that were in his midst. See, all the provisions that God had ever done for him, he's taking his present hurt and he's ignoring all those other things. He's ignoring everything else. He's saying, God, I needed you, but you weren't there for me. Where were you? You just, just leave. Just leave. And so here's the last point. Where's the hope? Right? Because I think this, the, the psalm is looking hopeless. I think where you find the hope is actually in two places. Here here it is. The first sign of hope that we have in this text, it begins with the location of the psalm. Why is this psalm even in the Bible in the first place? Why is it here? And Derek Kidner, in his commentary, I think he says it best. He says this. He says, The very presence of such a prayer in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. You say, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means this. As hurt as David feels right now, as myopic as he's being in the moment right now, for him to say, believe me. The fact that we even have any record of this psalm proves that God can handle his hurt. I think it's crazy for David to say that his life would be better without God than with God. But the fact that we're allowed to express that, the fact that we can actually even say that in the first place, and yet he doesn't reject us, yet he isn't mad at us, and not not just that, but it's actually canonized and put in the Bible and Scripture, that's a witness to God's understanding. That he didn't take it out. By doing so, what he's saying is, is, I'm your God, David, in spite of the way that you're talking to me right now. I was for you, Sorry, I was for you before all this, and I'm actually 
for you in this as well. And so if you're hurting right now, if you're mad, if you're confused, if you're at your wit's end and you don't know how to take it anymore, he gets it. He knows how you feel. God is saying to you right now, I'm not just your God when you're happy and everything is okay. I'm your God when you don't get it either. Why? Because he's ultimately a God of grace. He doesn't reject us or accept us if we get it. He's gracious and he's patient. And if you want to approach him in this way right now, you can. And knowing that, understanding that, do you see how liberating that is? Do you know how wonderful it is that you don't have to walk around eggshells with God? That it's his nature to be able to take it? That you know God loves you when things are fine, but it's, it's, it, it's when you see his patience, when you see his ability to handle your hurt, that's when you can really see the grace from him that becomes apparent. And so while there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope in the words of this psalm, the fact that this psalm is even allowed, that God puts it in here in the first place, that gives us hope because it shows us a love and a patience and an acceptance that can and will get us through anything. That's what you need to get. And I think the deep, deep irony of verse 13 that essentially says God doesn't love me. The mere existence of this psalm shows that he actually does, David, that he actually does to you and me. That we can say that even to him, we can say to him all the things of our heart, he still won't reject you. And it's because of this psalm, what God is telling you right now is you might not feel his presence right now, but that doesn't mean that he's not present. Are you in the dust right now? Are you defeated? Are you tired? Are you saying, oh, Lord, how much longer? This is saying he can handle those tears. He can handle those questions. He can handle those hurts. And that leads us, I think, to the last bit of hope that's buried in this text. In the hurt, in verse 11, it says, um, you know, you're going to consume everything. Everything's going to be consumed like a moth. I think what it's getting at is our identity tends to be put into physical things. But the way the world tries to get identity, to get feelings, is that we store up our treasures to feel like we have valuables. And that's not just, not just material things, good deeds, feeling a good person, that I've accomplished things. Our health, our, our money, our, to- our time, it's all fleeting, it's all going away. We need a heavenly treasure that the moths can't actually get at. Right? We need a spiritual treasure, and I think what this text is doing is it's forcing us to change what we treasure. The pandemic's done that too, the economic loss, the heartache. Where does our real treasure lie? In verse 13, David asks, he says to God, look away, it's a request. But that will actually never happen because we actually know of someone who really did have that happen to him. That Jesus on the cross, where he quotes actually the Psalms, he quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From the Psalms. And when he's saying that, he's saying... In that moment, on that cross, what he's experiencing is what it's like to have actually God's face turn away. Jesus got what we deserve for all the times that we look away from him, that we look to other things for our comfort, that we're too enamored with our status and our wealth and our comfort. We're too self-focused, that we're not concerned about the, the neighbor. We're not concerned about the unbeliever. That the, that the problems of, the, of this world, they actually start with ourselves. 
and our own self-centeredness, and we've turned away from him. We deserve to be shunned. We deserve that face to be turned away from him, to be put on the outside. Instead, he gets it. Jesus lost the face of God so that you and I could have the face of God, even when we don't think we even have it right now. If you right now don't feel like God is with you, if you feel like he has not come through for you, Look to Jesus. Look to his fellowship. You have him. He came for you. Jesus is not looking away from you. Anything that you've experienced, he's experienced. Anything that you've gone through, he's gone through. And he got the full abandonment so you and I don't. Why? Why is that? Because if you break anything in this world, there's always a cost. There's always a debt that's created. So when you wrong somebody, you either pay for it or, or that person pays for it. It doesn't just go away into oblivion. And so what Jesus does on the cross is what he does is he absorbs the debt instead of us. All the brokenness that we see right now that we caused on that cross, he took. He was abandoned so that you and I only might feel abandoned at times when we're really not. He lost God's fellowship so that only now we have times when we don't feel like we have his fellowship but we actually do. Jesus did that for you. And if he didn't abandon you on the cross, you know he's not going to abandon you now. It's not in his nature. Whatever the mess, whatever the hurt, whatever you think that you, you, whatever you think that you know what is happening, there is nothing the resurrection won't fix eventually. But that assurance, name the brokenness, the resurrection fixes it. The resurrection means that we will be healed or we're going to be healed, right? Uh, either we will be made new or we will be made new. Or we will be with him or we will be with him. Those are the only two options. And they're the same one. That means you can go into your deepest, darkest place right now. Maybe you're there right now. You might feel lost. You might feel like that you don't deserve this. You might not know why this is actually happening right now. Whatever you are, wherever you are, the resurrection means it won't stay that way. And one day we will know what that looks like. And since we know that resurrection is assured, since we know that even we don't feel his presence, that doesn't mean that you don't actually, that doesn't mean that you don't have his presence. That means that this time, right now, can actually be a time of growth. Sometimes the only way to rely on God is when you have nothing else left but him. All you need is nothing. And sometimes the only time that you learn that is when you actually have nothing left. So go to him. Whatever the issue is, he can handle it. If you don't believe right now, go to him. If you're not sure what to believe, go to him. Whatever the issue is. So if you're struggling with your faith right now, tell him. Are you mad and upset at God right now? Tell him. Even if you can't see the reason for all this, it doesn't mean there isn't one. It doesn't mean that we can't let it out. Thank you, God, for being big enough not just to take our pain and emotion. Thank you, God, for being big enough to actually do something about it in the person of Jesus. If you don't have a God big enough right now, if you don't know what to believe, take these first steps today. Say to him, you can take it. Here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this is a good word. This is a hard word. It's probably one of the hardest ones. It's good and hard. Um, there are times, Father, we just don't feel like we have that hope. 
And Father, thank you for the presence of this of this passage. It's actually very heartwarming to know that there's actually nothing. We don't have to end everything in a perfectly rounded, boxed answer. That we can be a mess. That we can just say how we feel. And you can take it, Father. And ironically, that's the mere presence of this text allows us to know that you do actually love us. And that's fully worked out in the person of Jesus on the cross. Father, this is going to be a, a strange fall, and it's been a, it's been a strange year. It's been a hard year. Help us not to just be so focused on our own hurts. Help us to be able to turn out and around into other people's hurts right now. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.